What's happening, my friends? Welcome to The John Lovell Show. Today, we have a special guest. Her name is Liz Wheeler, and we're pumped. We're actually recording this well in advance. Uh, so our different elements, you'll be like, hey, John changed shirts all of a sudden for Q&A ambush. Yeah, we had to because we're going to be talking about something that is not yet released, and that is her new book. We're also going to be talking about a myriad of other subjects of Biden corruption and election and attacks on our kids. And we're going to have some fun doing some rapid fire sections. So it's all going to start now. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. This is the John Lovell Show. Before we jump into this amazing interview, it's time for the shameless plug. Guys, this week's a really big deal, and I need your help. You need to rush the door and buy the greatest book ever conceived of. And this is it right here. Boom. Bible. If you already have a Bible, then I encourage you to pick up my book. It launches this week, and I actually really need your support to be able to get it into some of those big bestseller lists. And so this week is the time to go get a whole bunch for friends and family. It is filled with our warrior poet ethos. People tell me it's very, very good. I can't say that because then I'd be arrogant, but it's really, really good. So anyway, guys, rush the door. really appreciate it. And now we're onward to our episode. Here is Liz Wheeler. Thanks so much for joining us, Liz. John, thank you so much for having me. This is so exciting. This is the first interview that I've done about my new book. So I'm honored to do it on your show. Well, I am thrilled to have you here. Now that we've introduced you, let's ignore you as I read some of your bio. <laughs> so here we go. Liz Wheeler is unapologetically one of the conservative movement's boldest voices. In Politico's words, Liz is a titan of me, titan of media. How did you get that moniker? Titan? Listen, I am not going to say no when the mainstream media once in a blue moon has something complimentary to say about me. I didn't write that word, but I got to tell you, if I were the author writing that article, maybe I would have liked to choose it. So I'll take it. Well, I would fashion it onto a plaque and hang it over my mantle. Congratulations on being a titan <laughs> of media and hated by the left. That is a badge of honor today. Liz is a frequent target uh, target of the radical left and the phony fact checkers. Liz Wheeler is undeterred, maybe even energized. As the host of the Liz Wheeler Show, Liz is a voice of reason and reality for millions of Americans as she guides them through the most controversial stories of the day. Amen. Liz is passionate about exposing corruption and calling out the so-called experts. She is rigorous in her research and committed to her faith. Her drive to relentlessly defend against the radical leftist takeover of our culture is born of a desire to see properly ordered society thrive in America once again. Amen. That'll preach. I want to do like a wave and a round of applause. A society that values God over government, freedom over convenience, and individual liberty over victimhood and identity politics. Liz, I am thrilled to have you on. And I guess if we want to be self-deprecating here, it kind of is me making a plaque out of that word just by putting it in the bio that you read. So thank you for the verbal plaque. No, no, it's good. It's good. And I love that you uh, take what <laughs> they mean is like an insult. And instead, it's like a flex. It's like, yeah, you hate me. That means I'm doing my job. Uh, so we wanted to do a quick rapid fire section with you. So they, the idea is, is don't elaborate unless you absolutely have to, but pretty darn quick answers. Can you do it? Oh, it's just a get to know Liz I, um, section. I will try my very best, although I have to say anybody who has watched the Liz Wheeler show knows that um, keeping answers short is not my strength. I will try it just for you. Let's do Put it. Put you through the test. You get all, the rest of the time here. You get to just 
whatever Liz thinks. Uh, so this will be a, a challenge. Uh, so a great show or movie you've watched recently. What did I watch? Oh, I do audio podcasts count because if so, I listened to this great podcast called Sold a Story. Highly recommend They don't it. count, but we'll... <laughs> They don't count. Okay, I watch Shiny Happy People. I haven't quite finished it, but I watch Shiny Happy People. That was uh, that was an interesting watch too. Good, but it's like, what's your favorite movie? And you answer back with books. I would say this is an intellectual girl. This is this is a smart <laughs> cookie. So good job. No books are not uh, the same as reading books is not the same as watching movies. But that is an awesome <laughs> response. Liz, are there aliens out there somewhere? Probably not. I think that they're demons. Very good. Who would win in a fight between Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg? Oh, Elon Musk, for sure. Doesn't he have, he said he has the move, the whale, where he just lays on somebody and that's how he wins. That is an awesome answer. Love that. I think Zuckerberg will, will take the W, unfortunately, but I'm rooting more uh, for <laughs> Musk. Follow-up question. If you were stuck in a cage match with AOC, uh, who's going to win the day? You think you could take her? Is this like a verbal cage match or a physical cage match? Because if it's a verbal cage match, I no, got it. This is this is fisticuffs. Ooh, fisticuffs. I don't know. We're about the same size. We're about the same size. I think that that would be a sellout crowd. I can't. I'd have to say I would win that just because you have to have confidence in yourself. But that would be that would be a sellout for sure. I'd, I'd put down 20 on you, Liz. I really do think you could take her. Uh, give us a pet peeve. <laughs> what, what drives you nuts? A pet peeve. Uh, my biggest pet peeve is bicyclists on the road that go slower than the speed limit. You cannot go slower than the speed limit. If I did that in a car, I would get a ticket. You can't on a bike go 20 miles an hour in a on a 40 mile an hour road where there's no chance for me to pass you. Hate that. And if you hit him, it's a felony. I do believe I'm the same of your mind, but I think <laughs> it should be downgraded to misdemeanor. Because it was like, this is unjust. 100%. Like, this is your recreational activity. That's right. Uh, top country you'd like to visit? Israel. Mm, have you ever been? I have not. I keep having all these opportunities to go, but work things get in the way, and I'm not, and I haven't been able to yet. Work is so lame. I agree. Uh, favorite book of the Bible? Uh, the Gospel of John. Mm, well, amen. I agree. All right, you made it through the rapid fire, and you, true to form, you, you, you took the questions quickly. So bravo! Give yourself homeschool high five, Liz. Way to go. She did the five. That's awesome. You're okay. All right. So uh, let's go into our first question. You have a book coming up uh, called Hide Your Children. It's exposing the Marxists behind the attack on America's kids. It's supposed to launch September 2023. You haven't really even talked about it, but now it's out and it's available for pre-order, right? It is. Yeah, yeah. You can go to Amazon. You can go to HideYourChildren.com. I really actually ask that you pre-order it because, as you know, pre-orders count towards the bestseller list. So that day one when it's released, everybody's pre-orders count towards that. Um, this is really exciting, by the way. I feel I feel like adrenaline and excitement because this is the first uh, interview that I'm talking about this book. I know a lot of people come on when they're talking about books and say, oh, I had such a fabulous time writing this book. It was so enriching. It was it was the experience of a lifetime. And I got to tell you, John, this was opposite for me. This was the most miserable process that I can describe to you. And I say this, I'm kind of laughing. I am being very literal when I say it was miserable because going into this black hole of 
identifying every way that children are being attacked in our nation, right? Whether this is the transgender ideology, whether this is critical race theory, whether it is the assault on parental rights, whether it is our education system as a whole, whether it is the experts at the American Academy of Pediatrics and the CDC, all these different ways that children are being attacked. I, about a year ago, I thought, you know what? Where are all these attacks coming from? right? They all came in this coordinated manner. Is there some force that is behind all of them? So I started digging into this and it is actually a black hole. It is actually just a, a, a pit from hell to look at who is behind the attacks and in each one of these areas. And you will find in my book, as I found when I was researching it, that this this ad hominem that conservatives so often use saying, oh, the left are Marxists. It sometimes sounds like an empty insult, right? It is not. Behind each and every one of these attacks are actual Marxists who are using children as their way to try to topple our free market, liberty-centric society. It's really scary. The most alarming thing you found in sifting through all of the swamp, all of the uh, awful muck, what's the most surprising thing you found? I think two things. For the most disturbing thing that I found was when I was researching the transgender ideology, like how did this get into our school system, for example, where little boys are told that they can be girls if they want. Little girls are told, you know, maybe you're trapped in the wrong body. And the answer to this is a different identity and hormones and eventually surgery. And when I was looking at where the transgender ideology came from, it's not just this arbitrary bucket of nonsense. It has an ideological underpinning the way that critical race theory does, right? When little children are told, white children are told they're racist and black children are told they're oppressed, that's not just poison in and of itself. It is, but the underpinning is this Marxist theory, critical theory that morphed into critical race theory. The same thing holds true with the transgender ideology. It's not just an arbitrary bucket of poisonous nonsense attacking reality and attacking children. The underpinning is also a Marxist theory called queer theory. So what I did is I was like, well, I want to fully understand what this theory is. I want to fully understand the transgender ideology. So I went back and I read the founding document of queer theory. It's an essay called Thinking Sex, written by a lesbian named Gail Rubin, who is still alive and in, in still alive and well in our country today. And I read what she wants to achieve with queer theory. And what I found is that not only does she want to trans children, not only does she want to teach children that anything goes sexually, anything can be moral, as long as it's consensual. She defends child pornography, and she's an advocate for outright pedophilia. In fact, she calls pedophiles, quote, men who love underage youth, and says that we as a society, several decades down the road, will regret imprisoning and marginalizing these pedophiles. And I got to tell you, John, I had to set this document down and walk away because it just rocked me to my core. All of these pride marches that we're seeing right now where they say we're coming for your children or these naked men gyrating with their genitals exposed in front of kids. This is not just grotesque, offensive, performative, whatever you want to call it. This is actually a critical part of what our children are being taught with the transgender ideology. And it comes directly from a woman who espouses Marxist ideology. I'm seeing all kinds of accounts that I follow on Twitter and they're reposting some of this parade stuff where literally you see unedited, unblurred male genitalia, some of them excited while kids walk in between them. 
And I'm like, I get your desire to uh, share the news and like spread of like, hey, look, this alarming thing has happened. But the problem with some of these accounts I follow is they're not blurring the stuff. And so what they're doing is they're taking these exhibitionists with their fetishes. And whereas maybe hundreds of people saw the march, now you're reposting it to exponentially allow their uh, perverted fetish to, to be able to victimize millions. And so just a quick, quick, uh, a quick note for anyone that's watching, demand all accounts you follow that are reposting this, blur the private parts or don't post. But uh, I'm seeing that. I, how is it all of a sudden on the Internet, like on Twitter, it's OK to to show, you know, to show that? How is that OK? Just because it's under the auspices of news. Is this incredible to you? Well, listen, I think it's the number one argument why we should not allow our children to be on social media, because social media is maybe the biggest grooming apparatus out there. It is you will encounter pornography, you will encounter poisonous ideology, you will encounter really damaging, demonic, satanic stuff if you are on social media. I think it's incumbent, unfortunately. We do blur stuff when it's that graphic, when it's when we air it on the Liz Wheeler show, out of respect for our audience. We know that they can they can find the uncensored video if they, you know, desire to see that. Uh, but I do think it's important that we share these videos because it's 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 been a really interesting couple of years seeing parents who just three or four years ago thought, oh, this stuff just happens in, in California, the land of fruits and nuts. This just happens in very liberal New York. This isn't happening in my neighborhood, in my public school system, in my child's classroom. And all of a sudden, parents are like, well, wait a second. This is happening to my child. My child's seeing this on TikTok. My child is seeing this in their in their first grade classroom. And unfortunately, one of the ways that you that you encourage parents to open their eyes to reality is by demonstrating what's happening in in their communities. And showing these videos is a good reason why. I mean, a couple of years ago, there were always groups of feti of people that engaged in weird fetishes, but they they understood that like the nude beach didn't try to make all beaches nude, right? Like they just were relegated to a specific closed off portion. There were always weird sex clubs, but they kind of kept that to themselves. That's not what the desire of these people is anymore. And parents need to understand that. And I think they are. It's incredible to me. Listen, uh, I have a question that it's been a question for a long time. No one's really been able to uh, satiate my curiosity here. Maybe you can give it a go. Ten years ago, everyone knew that dudes couldn't become women. You can play dress up games, but men can't become women. Women cannot become men. Everyone knew that there was two genders, two sexes of like anybody, all the folks decrying this with the exception of a very, very narrow. I knew zero people that would make that argument 10 years ago. No one that would admit there's an infinite amount of genders. And then all of a sudden, a massive looks like a, amount of people, you know, think that it's fluid. Furthermore, five years ago, maybe, maybe a year ago. Everybody seemed to be in agreement that, oh, if a pedophile molested a kid, then you should throw him in jail, lock away the kids and uh, or I mean, lock, lock away the person or you want to lock away the kids from these people, lock the people up uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, throw away the key. Terrible stuff. Uh, and that would be the nicest response I could find, uh, you know, uh, recently. And now minor attracted persons and being able to sexualize kids and normalizing the abuse of them and puberty blockers and all kinds of terrible stuff that's happening seems to be shifting to more of a mainstream view perspective. Perhaps it's just 
social media allowing a very small fringe of fringe to be written large. But I see that our institutions of power have all locked in step to endorse this and then promulgate it. So it's happening in all the government schools almost. And it's happening in the media and it's happening in Hollywood and Disney and, and the executive branch and the legislature, all of the powers to be are lining up behind this insidious, uh, pernicious ideology that victimizes our, our youngest and most innocent. How is it that in such a short time, we could go from two genders to all these genders and then uh, pedophiles to, nope, minor attracted person and it's okay. How in the world could the populace and the powers to be be so lockstep, uniformly manipulated into this? Yeah, this is a great question. And I spent two chapters in my book answering this question. What you're asking is actually a two-part question. Who is disseminating this? And what is the incentive for who is disseminating it to disseminate it? So let's start with the first part of that question. The short answer for who is disseminating this ideology is the largest corporate groomer in our country, believe it or not, is Planned Parenthood. You and I think of Planned Parenthood as being the largest abortion provider, the largest abortion business in the country, and that's true. But a new part of their business, they are now the second largest distributor of transgender hormone therapy to young people in our country. And not only that, not only are they profiting on that, they are also one of the largest sex ed apparatuses in the nation. They go into your children's school and they teach a curriculum called comprehensive sexuality education. I detail exactly the origin of comprehensive sexuality education in my book, in the chapter called The Biggest Corporate Groomer in Our Country. And the short answer to this is it's underpinned by Marxism. First of all, many people don't know that the founder of Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger, was herself steeped in Bolshevik ideology. She didn't sit here and say, John, I'm a Marxist, but the people she surrounded herself with were communists, were socialists, were Bolsheviks. She went to the Soviet Union on a journey because she said the way that the Soviet Union treated women was a feminist's dream. She was talking about abortion. She was talking about birth control. So you combine this immorality, this um, this desire to profit off of butchering other people's lives that was that was uh, formed by not only her background in eugenics, but her background in Bolshevism. You combined that with the twisted fetishes of Alfred Kinsey, who he may not have been a Marxist, but he was responsible for normalizing really horrendous sexual practices in the nation. You combine those two things and it forms comprehensive sexuality education. It's something that's pushed not only by Planned Parenthood in our nation's schools, but by the United Nations, which we, the United States, fund. So this is the apparatus that distributes this nonsense and inherent to comprehensive sexuality education is all of the transgender stuff. You can be a boy if you want to be a boy. You can be a girl if you want to be a girl. It's not related to biology. It's how you feel. It's on a spectrum. Sex, there's no such thing as sex essentialism, they say. It's just there's fluidity. You combine that with, well, what incentive does Planned Parenthood and the United Nations have to distribute this? Well, perhaps some ideological incentive, right? If they have these this roots in Marxism, perhaps some financial incentives. Once they groom children in this ideology, they then stand to profit from these children when they come seeking the transgender hormone therapy. But there's also an additional incentive structure, and it's called ESG. 
I have a whole chapter in my book about Klaus Schwab and his World Economic Forum. I know a lot of conservatives are like, oh, let's not dip our toes into this. It sounds like conspiracy. I read Klaus Schwab's books. I, I studied his ideology. I really unpacked what ESG is. It stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. And it's essentially, you've probably heard of the Chinese social credit score system, where Chinese businesses and Chinese citizens are rated by the government based on their good behavior or their bad behavior, and they are deprived opportunities to buy a house or send their children to school or get a job or travel if they are not good communists, and they are rewarded if they uh, do things the Chinese Communist Party wants them to do. Klaus Schwab invented a very similar system to this, a Maoist system, which Maoist is just the Chinese version of Marxism or communism. Klaus Schwab invented this and applies it through these big investment firms like BlackRock and Bank of America to American businesses across the board. So you have this mechanism then where you have an ideological motivation to indoctrinate children in queer theory and you have a financial incentive to do that, but you also have an additional incentive that you will be bullied out of the marketplace if you don't adhere to, well, this, this demonic communism. So it's a very complex apparatus. And one of the things that I talk about often in my book is if we as conservatives don't understand that this isn't just a random assortment of nonsense and grotesque um, things being taught to our children, if we don't understand the strategy behind it, the reality of the political enemy that we face, then we won't be able to fight well against it and eradicate it from our society and protect our children. So there's the expression, hey, go woke, go broke. And I've seen some things that are really exciting. The Budweiser dip as the boycotts have really geared up, and that's really hurt Budweiser. Uh, uh, also, Target boycotts, that seems to be working well. I saw that recently eight of the last films Disney has released has cost them close to $1 billion. And that's all very exciting to me, yet... Companies continue to go woke and shove all of this woke ideology down our throats. And I'm thinking, surely this can't be profitable. And yet they continue to do it. I'm like, I just don't think that's profitable yet. But why would they be doing if it wasn't? Do you think that these mega corporations, huge deep pockets are ones that are kind of backfilling any lost profits is, is as if they're willing to lose certain battles because ultimately they want one big war that unpack this for me because uh, things just don't seem to make yeah. sense. And you seem to already be uh, touching on it with some of the globalistic players. Yeah. So first of all, many of these big corporations are pursuing not profit, they're pursuing an ESG score, right? So the way that Klaus Schwab describes his system is he says, I want to move away from shareholder capitalism, which is free market capitalism, where a business makes decisions based on the interests of their shareholders and the interests of their consumers. And he says, I want to redefine capitalism and change it, transform it into what he calls stakeholder capitalism. Stakeholder capitalism is just a euphemism for the ESG system that I just described. So many of these businesses, because they want access to capital in the market, they are not basing decisions on whether they're profiting, whether what's, what's good for their consumers and what's good for their shareholders. They're basing it on their pursuit of a higher ESG score. So they are sacrificing, intentionally sacrificing profit for a high ESG score. Um, and 
we see that happening. There's also the additional element that some of these very, very woke corporations are staffed by executives who not only are coerced by ESG scores, but actually buy into this Klaus Schwabian ideology or this Marxist ideology. And what is the root of Marxism? The root of Marxism is anti-capitalism. So some of these corporations, I don't think, care about their actual business. They're happy to destroy wealth. They're happy to destroy value. They're happy to destroy capital. And, and the billion-dollar corporations that are at the forefront of our free market of our free market economy because they fundamentally don't believe in the system in which we exist. They want to sacrifice capitalism and instead turn it into Marxism. Okay, so uh, I think we can unpack that in a few years as it's just happening and steamrolling everything we've ever uh, known <laughs> and loved. So fantastic. Thanks, Liz. I was planning on this nice lighthearted thing of like, yay, we'll look at your book. It'll be fun. We'll have a good chat. Uh, but now I'm just kind of like everything is coming undone at the seams. I told you it was a deep black hole. Let me tell you this. Let <laughs> no, it's great. I'm definitely buying your book. That's part one of my book. And the first page of part two, I say, listen, guys, I know this book is not easy to read. I know that sometimes it's frustrating. Sometimes it's anxiety inducing. Sometimes it's depressing. Although I say I hope it is never hopeless because I don't feel hopeless. There is a way for for us, the conservative movement, doesn't even have to be the Republican Party, for the conservative movement to reclaim what our country was intended to be. There is a way. It's not by the standard Republican talking points. And I know some conservatives that err on the side of libertarianism aren't going to like my solution, but I lay out a meticulous plan for how you and I and everyone listening to this who likewise was like, wow, that was that's really heavy stuff that's happening in our country. If that's what's happening in our country, and I lay out proof that it is, I lay out a solution to this. And so by the end of the book, you should be raring to go. You should be like, I get what we're facing. I understand their strategy and I know how to fight back. And we got this. And you're not even going to tell us because you, you're going to make us go buy your book, aren't you? <laughs> you scorpion woman. How could you? How dare you? Tell me. The one sentence. Are you ready for this? Some, some of your viewers are not going to like this. You have to reject libertarianism. You have to reject the idea that government's only role is to stay as far away from people's, you know, get off my lawn as possible. And you have to understand that that's actually not how our Constitution was written. Our Declaration was written as a very John Lockean libertarian philosophy document. But our Constitution was written based on the definition of liberty as uh, as defined by Edmund Burke. Edmund Burke did not believe that liberty was the uh, end in and of itself. That was not the highest thing that could be achieved. Edmund Burke believed that a society based on ordered liberty allowed individuals to pursue something higher, something higher being virtue. So a society based on ordered liberty is our solution here. We have to be able to define what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is bad, and what is justice. Edmund Burke defined liberty as justice and defined justice as God's original justice, as natural law. And John, if we reclaim our heritage, this is what's written in the Constitution. This is what we were supposed to be. If we reclaim our heritage to natural law, not a live and let live type of society, but actually ordering our society to say, no, there are only two sexes, male and female. No, there is no inherent morality and the liberty for a grown man to shake his exposed genitals in front of a child's face. If we order our society and our laws along natural law, we will save our country. I love that. Um, so I am definitely planning on buying your book. Uh, I encourage everybody listening to go ahead and check it out too. I think many of uh, the folks listening in, Liz, are a lot like me in that 
I can handle going down the rabbit hole. I can handle more bad news. That's all I seem to be getting these days anyway. I just want the truth. I want to understand how to make sense of the chaotic world around me so I can figure out where to dig in heels and what I can do about it. And I, I love that you offer a solution to that. Uh, I am particularly interested in your rebuff of libertarianism. Uh, and I imagine uh, you'll make the case of, hey, we can't just live and let live and say, hey, government, just leave me alone as tyrants have come to roost and tyrants will never just let you live. You actually have to rise up to meet them where they are and stop them. Uh, and so you got to go offensively. We can't play defense or zone or any way. Uh, but anyway, I'm very excited to get your book. Thank you so much for writing it. Uh, at that, guys, make sure you go ahead and uh, get her book. Uh, if we could move on, I had just a few other things I wanted to talk to you about. Is, is that good? Yeah, of course. Of course. And thank you, everyone, for who's, who's pre-ordering the book. It really makes a huge difference. Just go to Amazon or HideYourChildrenBook.com. So you've got a little girl, is that right? A couple years old or so? Yes. Yep. She's almost two and a half. Uh, how do you all plan on educating? Are you homeschool? Or are you going to ship them off to the state to teach them some Maoist stuff? Well, what do you plan on doing? <laughs> That's exactly the binary choice that we have. No, we, uh, she's only two and a half, so she's not school age yet, but we plan on homeschooling her. I was homeschooled K to 12, so I'm already biased towards it, not just as an alternative to public schooling, but as a positive thing in and of itself, educationally, socially, spiritually. So I'm excited. I'm excited for us to homeschool her. Awesome. Well, we were reluctant homeschool parents as well. Our kids never saw the inside of a government school, but we had so many apprehensions going in and so much uh, so much of what we didn't know. We thought it was going to be way harder than it was, and we never re dreamed of like, no, it was actually a lot easier than we thought. There's so many uh, things out there at the disposal of homeschool co-ops and curriculums and huge social networks everywhere you want to go, and you could just spend a couple powerful hours teaching them, and then the rest of the day, it's, you know, you do some chores and you do some play, but you actually raise your own kids. You don't just send them to school and see them later and of like, holy cow, it was really, really cool. Are you wrestling with that? Because you're, you're a career woman. You're, you're burning the candle at both ends, and you're an author and content creator. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you know, like, yeah, I know you're raising chickens, and you're on a little bit more of a homestead plot like us. And now might as well just be a full-time homeschool mom as well. So how are you going to balance that crazy life of yours? Listen, let's be very clear here. Uh, I'd like to claim credit for raising the chickens, but I think we all know that it's my husband who's raising the chickens that I have not been, I have not been a helper on the raising of the chickens. That's my husband's activity that he does with my daughter. Um, yes, I mean, as you know, when you are a full-time mom and you are working, I mean, I host the Liz Wheeler Show, I've written this book, it's a lot. It's a lot. And at the end of this book, I feel like I just fell on the floor and was like, oh my goodness, I'm so glad that this is complete. This was such a haul to write this book. So much work, um, both physically work, but also mental work and spiritual work to fight against the forces of evil that, that we see unfolded in this book. But I have been very committed since my daughter was born to spend the bulk of my time with her. I do not work uh, nine to five at an office. I do not work a hundred hours a week away from her. In fact, my husband and I don't uh, don't send her to any kind of childcare or even have in-home childcare. He's a medical provider, so he works longer shifts, fewer days a week. I generally work after she goes to bed at night or maybe for just a couple hours when he'll have her in the afternoon. And we, we juggle it and do it ourselves because all the things that we're doing your show, my show, our books, my husband's work, they're important things. They're serving others. They're serving our country, but they are things of this world. 
right? And the thing that's not of this world is the eternal soul that we are shepherding in our daughter. And that is one area that I am always, I I, I will never be willing to sacrifice uh, even an inch of that. So very committed to being a very present. uh, I I identify, this is what I tell my husband, I identify as a stay-at-home mom, even though I also do full-time work on the side. I love that. Um, I wanted to <laughs> dramatically shift gears that I just, I want to pause there because I'm like celebrating. I'm like, I bet you are in a power couple. And that, that little girl is so wildly <laughs> blessed to be in your family and just bravo, mom, way to go. You guys are killing it. Uh, even though you make dad take care of chickens, you know, I guess all good teams have to divide and conquer. <laughs> Uh, our kids are older now, nine and 11, and we have given the chickens completely to the boys. So I'm like, boys, if you don't keep the chickens alive, oh, they yeah, will die it. and it will be your fault. So there is responsibility. Uh, so uh, anyway, they, they rose up to the task and they've got that responsibility. And so it's a good thing, but uh, it's fun to watch them grow healthy That's a great thing. as we can shield them from all the disgusting, uh, perverted muck Uh going around everywhere. Our our kids don't know much about it, though we are preparing them. We say, hey, these things are out there and they exist and you got to be ready for them. So they know the world is a bad, twisted, dark, dangerous, Jesus-hating place, but we're preparing them without scarring them. So um, you're doing the same. You're awesome. God bless you. That's why I titled my book, Hide Your Children, because that is what we're called to do as parents. I mean, you don't shelter your children forever, but you do give them shelter from the evil that is coming after them until they are well-equipped to fight back against it themselves. Something I encourage all parents to do because our society is so tied into the internet and to phones and to sending children to childcare and school and movies and Hollywood. You have to give your children, deliberately give your children shelter until they're ready to handle the storm. You know, some people are going to mishear you uh, when you say that because they'll key in on the word hide and completely miss the fact that you just said prepare. And that means you're not putting in a bubble so that one day when they're 18 or whatnot, they kick off and be like, what? This world is completely different. I'm like, no, no, no. You're educating them. So you're the one teaching them about uh, healthy sexuality and all the bad steps that could be out there. You're the one teaching them about uh, how the world is evil place and corruption and all the things that run rampant. So it's not that you're hiding them from all the ideas, it's that you're the one that introduces them to them so that you're basically training little soldiers so that once they grow up, they are ready to meet the world as it really is and not be scarred hopelessly by being objected into a war before they have any training and preparation, right? Exactly. I mean, I got to admit, I'm going to be hiding my daughter from the naked, the naked transgender people on bicycles that are trying to shake genitals in her face. Uh, I will be straight up hiding her from those. But yes, of course, (laughs) I'm trying to hide everyone from it. Um, but yes, of course, you you want to be able to introduce the idea of right and wrong to your child so that when they do encounter this evil in the world, they can look at it and say, I see that and I recognize that that is evil. It's not that you are not preparing them to encounter these things. You are deliberately preparing them so that they know how to properly order it and order their choices and order their thoughts and order their spiritual life when they do encounter it. Uh, massive shift in gears. Nothing stick to the Bidens. Nothing sticks to Joe Biden and his entire uh, an entire office, it seems. All this just different evidence that has come out, and no matter how bad it goes, we're like, whoa, smoking gun number five, smoking gun number 12. Nothing seems to shake it, and the DOJ does nothing. And if the DOJ doesn't do something, who can? Who, can, who does? 
Is there anything that could happen to remove this current regime? Yeah, this is this is my fairly cynical view on this. I'm not surprised when we have a political family who's been entrenched in politics forever like the Bidens have. I'm not surprised when they're corrupt. This is honestly fairly typical of politicians. It's bad, it's wrong, it's evil, it's immoral, but this is fairly typical of of political families even in the United States. I mean, think about like the Clintons. They're a corrupt political family. Think about the McConnells. They're a corrupt political family. The Bidens are a corrupt political family. That part, while always shocking, because wrong is always shocking, is not surprising because we expect it. Um, the real scandal here is, of course, as you said, the Department of Justice. It is Merrick Garland deliberately choosing not to charge Hunter Biden with the crimes that he deserves to be charged with because he obviously committed them and admitted to it, and we have proof of that. But Merrick Garland deciding not to charge him because he is the son of the president of the United States and that president happens to be a Democrat, that's the real scandal. And it's compounded by our representatives in the United States Congress and in the United States Senate, people who we elected to be our voices. It's why it's called the People's House. We elected them. We sent them to Washington, D.C. to hold criminal political families and corruption accountable. They have an opportunity to do this. They can impeach those who are abusing their power. And yet, over and over again, they turn out to be squishes and rhinos and just watered down versions of the same corrupt people that we want held accountable. That's the real scandal of the thing, is that our fighters in Washington, D.C. are not fighters. They're squishes. I think we need uh, strong men. And when I say strong men and women, uh, I'm more in the masculinity space. So uh, um, strong men and women. I'm not a feminist. So don't worry. I'm not going to be offended by that. Don't, don't you hate how everything has to be qualified because I have a million trolls jumping in yeah. of like whatever. But it mainly 97% uh, of our audience is men. And so typically I say, hey, we need strong men. And I mean, uh, strength of virtue more than deadlift. Deadlifts is good, but strength of virtue, meaning you don't take the briefcase of money, you vote principles and the principles of your constituency, right? Uh, I want to radically shift gears, but to that end of strong masculinity, I want to rewind uh, Liz Wheeler's clock just three or four years till you're 22 year old gal and you're single and you're on the prowl. <laughs> You're shopping for a hubby. So sorry, I've erased your husband from existence. I'm sorry. The chickens are going to have to fend for themselves. But you're out there looking for a husband, and you see the state of modern masculinity. And on the one hand, you see just a feet, uh, spineless, you know, uh, uh, dudes over here. And then on the other end, you see this counter swing of hyper masculine, definitely is not going to be kind to you or anything else like that. Uh, what are some things that young Liz is going to be looking for at, to be able to really quickly identify that? Get, speak to our men and say, guys, avoid these pendulum swings. Be like this. This is what you'd be hunting. These are the clues you'd be picking up on. Kind of a goofy question, but our, our viewers will be into it. No, I think it's a great question. And I'm very flattered that you think I was 22 just four years ago. I don't want to disappoint you and tell you that that was actually 12 years ago that I was 22. I met my husband, though, when I was 24. I had recently moved to San Diego. My best friend uh, was a Navy nurse at the time. And she said, hey, it's really cool out here. You want to come live with me out here? And I said, sure, that sounds awesome. So I moved out to live with my best friend. And I met my husband the week after I moved to San Diego. We were actually at a, a beach bonfire that was hosted by um, by my friend and her, her nursing friends from the Navy. My husband at the time was in the United States Navy. He was a medical officer. And so he was
was invited to this cookout, and I remember him walking up to walking. We were already there when he arrived. I remember him walking across the sand, walking across the beach, and coming to our blankets. And my first thought was, "Oh wow, this this man is really attractive." So I turned to my sister, who was also there with us. Let me catch like, you, you off right there because I'm seeing, I'm I'm picturing, you know, um, shirtless. He walked up in slow motion. The Baywatch music was playing in the background. You know, he happened to be David Hasselhoff. Uh, is that is that the right picture? Do we have that right, Liz? Listen, John, that's your fantasy, not mine. <laughs> oh, it's everything so gross. Well done. All right, continue jumping your story. This was just like a regular. This was not. This was not bathing suits. This was like in San Diego, as you know, after dark it gets kind of chilly. So I think everyone was wearing like jean shorts and sweatshirts. That kind of that kind of beach gathering. It was not like it was not in the middle of the summer sun. So no, he walked up and I said to my sister, "That guy's really cute. You should you should date him. You should go talk to him." So I spent. That that evening and the next couple days trying to set my sister up with him. My sister was dating another guy at the time, and so she continued to decline. Um, and we kept, we continued to hang out with my husband. And, you know, the, the qualities about him that were attractive to me, or this is actually what I tell him to this day, the two reasons that I married him. One is because he's a godly man. He is a godly man. He strives every day to pursue truth and to serve God um, and to bring everyone else around him into the kingdom of God. And that's a very, that's something I admire. That's something that I wanted as for my family. I view the husband as the leader of the family. He is my spiritual leader. And that is something that was attractive. And the second reason that I say I married him is because he is the first man that I ever dated or talked to that I could not push around. You might have noticed I have uh, I have opinions. I'm a little strong-willed, and sad to say, many of the guys that I dated, I could kind of get my way with on whatever the whatever the argument was, whatever the question was, and that just wasn't doing it for me. So the godly man that I could not push around. Uh, nine days after I met him, I wrote down in my journal, I was like, I think I'm going to marry this one. And a short four and a half years after that, I did. Let me tell you what I love about your answer, Liz, other than, well, you pinned me to the wall with the Hasselhoff thing. I haven't recovered from that. And my staff is laughing at me right now because anything that would embarrass me, they think is awesome. So screw you guys. Y'all are terrible. Y'all are terrible. If you have any good staff, you are, are, are heavy on. You want to send over this way. These guys are jerks and they're still laughing at me. What I love about how you answered is I... My controller room is also laughing at you right now. <laughs> I'm gone. See you guys. Nice try. I'm out. Uh, what I love about how you answered my question is, is I phrased it in a way of like, all right, if you could rewind the clock, but you refused to see the world uh, or see that anyway, except through your husband, which means really you're a gal who really only has eyes for that one. And that mean, that belies a really strong marriage and a really faithful wife who just can't see anything romantic uh, or anything desirable except her husband. And so to that end, I'll say, bravo, you guys rock. I love you too as a couple. A second reason I really like what you said is what you just said, the second reason for husband, that is me and my wife's testimony to AT. She would laugh and she'd be <laughs> looking at like, yep, same thing. Couldn't push John around. Uh, the first thing though, you said he was a godly man. What were the cues in that he was the real godliness? Not not the fakey kind of one, but the the real holiness of God. What were the clues that led you in this guy's the real deal? 
Yeah, that's a good question because it is, I guess, easy to say that someone's godly, but how do you apply that godliness to your life is the real measure of whether that's a sincere, of, the, of whether that's a sincere faith. And the answer to that is in the culture of San Diego, it's a beach town, right? It's surfer dudes everywhere. It's very, it's so open-minded that anything goes in San Diego. So that includes uh, immorality and he didn't take part in that. He didn't take part in that, but he also wasn't one of those Christians that has to hide themselves away as an adult, that has to create a complete subculture. He was able to exist around other people making immoral choices without it weakening his own resolve. And I have so much respect for that because we are a culture that gives in to peer pressure, that that glorifies weakness. And there, there's, there's not a shred of that in my husband, I also, from the very beginning, saw that no matter how busy he was, I mean, you know what it's like living the military life. Like, that's a lot of work. That's more than a full-time job. It's grueling. No matter how busy, no matter how tired, no matter what kind of sleep deprivation was going on, the man read the Bible every single day. He was committed to reading the Bible every single day, even if it was just a paragraph, even if it was just a short chapter, even if it took him four years to read the Bible cover to cover every single day without fail. He rooted himself in the word of God. And I saw, I mean, we've been together almost 10 years and in another two months, it'll be 10 years now. I've seen um, how this has caused him to flourish. I've seen the transformation in his life. He was a good man when I met him and when I fell in love with him. And he is a man for other men to respect now um, in a way that that it's 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 hard to even compare. And I think the reason for that is because he is pursuing truth. He's putting pre-existing biases aside and he's pursuing um, truth the way that God intended for him to pursue. And it starts by getting to know Jesus Christ. Oh, wow. I, well, I know I would absolutely adore your husband. I already do. I don't know his face, but I already know uh, enough about him. He's probably a more interesting guest than I am, John, honestly. <laughs> well, can we, can, hey, can we get rid of Liz and can we get her husband on? Is that okay? She can't hear that. <laughs> Liz, you're awesome. I'm going to buy your book. I heartily recommend everyone else do as well. And I definitely want to uh, hang out with your husband. Let's make sure if we're ever sharing some time at an event, let's double date. I want to meet this guy. Uh, but uh, anyway, tell him I said, what's up? Give him a yeah, fist bump because that's what we do. And uh, where can folks, find you if, if uh, people want to see your stuff, uh, your online content, where, where do we go? Yeah, go to Apple Podcasts, search The Liz Wheeler Show, hit subscribe over there, go to Amazon and search Liz Wheeler or search Hide Your Children book. Uh, I'd be so honored if you would buy this book and read it and then give it to a family member or a friend or a parent in your community that you know needs to understand the reality of what we're facing. So Apple Podcasts, Liz Wheeler Show, Amazon, Hide Your Children. And this was so much fun, John. Thank you so much for having me. Guys, thanks so much for joining us for the John Lovell Show. You have just met and learned from Liz Wheeler. She's awesome. If you want to see the rest of this episode, you got to visit watchwpsn.com. You'll get our training tips. You also get our Q&A ambush, our dad joke section, and us as a team just riffing on some stuff that is a little bit more like locker room behind the scenes chat that isn't so forward facing. So really appreciate the support. Watchwpsn.com. Sign up there and you can download it wherever apps are available. Guys, take it easy. Thanks for tuning in.